welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Good morning, Epiphany Fellowship and friends. Uh, I'm excited to be here today. You're not, you don't see the fullness of the room, but it is in shambles <laughs> um, because we are working on getting things ready for our return. We are going to progressively um, get ready for return. And one of the things we've been trying to do is play it safe. We've done some work over the over the last year. It's been a year now that we've been in quarantine. And, you know, I hear churches will tell me, hey, we've been back since last year. And, you know, one of the things that we've looked for is safety, because when the pandemic first started, we had several people in the church like quickly get the virus um, and some older people that were severely um, hurt by the virus. And then we had people that had family members that had the virus as well. And I think that we've moved wisely. We've done outreach and we've loved on our community in different ways that keeps them safe and us safe, uh, you know, and not them and us because, you know, and but yeah, so safe. And so I'm excited and thankful, thankful for everyone that gave to the hurricane relief where um, contacting Crossover Bible Fellowship, and we're going to be sending those resources down <clears throat> to help with that update on the building. We're still waiting on the city to uh, to hear from them uh, concerning that. However, uh, you know what we're focusing on this year. Uh, we're focusing on uh, coming back live well, doing media, outreach, and then our administration uh, uh, infrastructure. That's what we're going to work on, those three things. So this year, I want y'all to remember this. I want to keep this before you. Coming back well, getting back, getting minimally coming back, you know, making sure everyone's safe. That That's what I want to see. That's what we want to see. And, and us to be able to figure out what does it look like in this new normal to come back in a way that helps us to honor God, worship the Lord, but then um, also um, also keep everyone safe. Uh, I've gotten, I, I received the first dose of the vaccination. I'll be, my wife and I will be receiving it in another few weeks. It was necessary for us because for us, getting the vaccine was very important to the medical professionals that's behind her entire, um, you know, her team that watches over her, everything from her former cancer team to her gastroenterology slash liver team and her primary care doctor. And so they highly suggest that we get it because of her immunosuppression and how uh, damaging the virus would be to her body if she ever got it. And so me being in the same household as her, they made it, they they strongly suggested that I get it too. And so I've gotten it, feel great. My arm was a little sore. So um, I'm not here to convince you of a conviction. I think if the virus can be safely taken and it will keep you safe, I'll take it. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I'll post a pic of me getting the second shot. shot. And uh, yeah, so I'm praying that um, as many of us can and are willing can take the shot because um, it takes it up to a 90 percentile of not getting the virus and particularly African-Americans. Um, and I understand the whole Tuskegee deal. I'm not a medical professional by any stretch of the imagination. And I can understand some of the apprehensions. The challenge is that what I'm hearing from people presenting stats is that African-Americans are dying, uh, you know, are, are the ones that's not taking the um, uh, the the the. Uh, 
the what do you call the vaccine? I, I lost my place there. The vaccine, and we're the we're 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 a significant amount of the deaths and cases, and in other communities, uh, <laughs> there there has been a decline in that. And so I just want us to think about those things again. It's up to you. It's your body. What you want to do? I, I, my household. We we're choosing to do it. Um, for our own safety and for the safety of others, and particularly because I am a spiritual first responder, so I'll have contact with people very, very often. So it loves my wife well if I take the vaccine and my family well, but also it loves you well to make sure that I can keep you all safe. All right, as because we're going to be coming back and it's going to be great. Um, and so those that that's going to be first thing. So coming back well, we'll come back well. Try to be safe and enjoy coming back to worship well. Putting out a ton of media, but then from there, um, our outreach, um, our men's ministry, women's ministry, uh, and um, our evangelism ministry will be coming together to do um, uh, multiple outreach. They'll be doing a minimum of six outreaches. There'll probably be some smaller ones. And of course, you know the boxing league is going on. And then finally, uh, the last thing, last but not least, our administration, just shoring up our administration through hires and different things that are need infrastructure wise to help us to prepare for the next season of growth, the next season of opportunity, the next uh, season of mission, the next season of outreach, the next season of God's glory. All right. So since I've said that, got that out the way, I guess um, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51. We are still in our impromptu series on strongholds. Turn to Psalm 51 with me. We're going to read a few verses. Can't do the whole thing because that would be a series in and of itself. Turn with me to Psalm 51, verse 1, and we'll go to about verse 6. Verse 6. It says, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me against you and you alone. I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep with. And in this next installment of our message uh, series on strongholds, I would like to talk about overcoming the stronghold of unrepentance. Overcoming the stronghold of unrepentance. Let's pray. Lord, in our life, we know that we can't get saved without repentance. We also know we can't grow without it. And so, God, every obstacle, every challenge, every mechanism that is viciously raging against our ability to experience newness of life on a regular basis and for others, Lord God, remove it. Lord, let the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Overcoming the stronghold of unrepentance. Wow. I, 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 as I was working through this series and thinking about what we're going to talk about, I was like, man, what strongholds are some of the most damaging strong? I mean, all strongholds are damaging, but what, which ones are systemically damaging that can affect the ability to get rid of other strongholds? 
Um, we've gone through some of them already. Selfish ambition. We've gone through sexual stronghold. And then we went through the framework of a stronghold. However, today, what I want to do is I want us to talk about unrepentance. And I know this ain't popular. You're probably going to turn your TV off now because nobody likes repent, repentance or talk about sin. But if you're going to grow and you're going to become a full-bodied Christian, um, you have to have more sermons that frame a broader and more fundamental Christian life that helps you to grow. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm in here for it. I hope you're in here for it. We're on for a ride. And so um, this is an interesting passage of Scripture here. Um, because um, when we talk about passages on repentance, there's, there is um, no passage in the Bible in my mind besides maybe Psalm 34, which is the other one David wrote, that helps us to really get a framing around repentance. What's interesting about this these verses is you don't see the word per se repentance in the English at all. However, you see a ton, you see a ton of its evidences in this passage. And I think that you and I really need to remember that repentance is daily activity for a godly Christian. Um, when we talk about the idea of repentance and framing repentance, I want to give you a fundamental definition of repentance. As you know, I like to give definitions. And what I want to do is I want to really frame this for you and then give you the background of this passage. And then let's really, really dig in because I want you to do I want you to let the Lord do surgery on you. Somebody say surgery where you are. Yes, yes, yes. So what is repentance? Well, um, the New Testament uh, fully embodies what repentance is through metanoia. I'll talk about the Old Testament and New Testament understanding of repentance. But this is my shot at really summing up all that I've studied over the years on what repentance actually is. Repentance, family, is the God-given ability to see your sin in light of God's holiness and confess it and turn away from it to righteousness and holiness. Let me say that again. Repentance is the God-given ability to see your sin in light of God's holiness and confess it and turn away from it to righteousness and holiness. Um, th th that's really the Old Testament framing of it, to feel remorse, contrition, self-reproach, if you will, uh, 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 a contriteness. The, the need, uh, understanding the need for authentic change. In the, in the New Testament, though, it's interesting. The New Testament, metanoia means to change your mind. That's deep. Because if we understand what a stronghold is, we understand what a stronghold is. A stronghold, again, remember, our definition is a mindset, a value system, or thought process that hinders our growth. So if, it's, if, 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 if that's what a stronghold is, what can stop us from repenting from having a, a, a stronghold of unrepentance is in our mind something that has duped us into believing that repentance is not necessary. And so therefore, the, that's why Jesus says, repent, metanoia for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why does he say that? He says that because in order to come to him, you have to change your mind about what you're like. 
You have to change your mind about your life. You have to change your mind. Or even if your mind isn't yet changed, you have to be knowledgeable of the deep need for your mind to be changed. That's why you need to come to Jesus. That's why when the spirit comes to, 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 uh, to deal with us in salvation based on John chapter 16, he says he comes to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's why one of the first things that happen when you become a believer is you get the mind of Christ. That's because in the discipleship process also, it, 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 that's why it says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. There it is. Uh, 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 it also says in Ephesians 4, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. First uh, Peter, he says, he says, gird your minds for action. So, so, so we see that the, the mind is one of the most strong and lethal pace places where we need to deal with our issues. So, so, uh, um, 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 so, so as we look at this, right, um, <laughs> unrepentant stronghold, what is it? What is it? They're going to have all of this up there for you. I got a lot of notes, family. A, a, a un, unrepentant stronghold is a mindset value system or thought process. Listen to me. Listen to me. That stubbornly refuses. Add that in there. Um, that stubbornly refuses to own sins they commit by negating to confess and turn away from sinful behavior and its effects. Let me say that again. An unrepentant stronghold is a mindset, value system, or thought process that refuses to, that stubbornly refuses to own sins they commit by negating to confess and turn away from sinful behavior and its effects. Listen to what Spurgeon says about repentance. He says, I learned from the scriptures that repentance is just as necessary to salvation as faith is. He says, and the faith that has not repentance going with it will have to be repented of. Bars. He said, you have to repent from not having faith that has repentance in it for salvation. So, 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 so you, so in sanctification, when you confess without repentance, you have to repent from just confession. Y'all ain't listening to me today. And so in this passage, let's lay this out. This comes from David's fall in second Chron, I mean, second Samuel 14. Um, David uh, went out. He, when all the kings went out to battle, David took his time and went out on the terrace and he looked over and saw a woman bathing outside, which would not have been abnormal. Um, because of where he was positioned, he probably could see. Instead of rejecting the lust of the eyes, he indulged. Not only did he indulge, but he wanted to bring her in so that he could have her. He involved others with his sin. He brought her in. He slept with her. She sinned as well as he sinned. Um, and then she got pregnant from him, with him, you know. And he wanted to cover up his sin instead of repenting. See, that's how you know a stronghold was there. Because his mindset was, let me cover this up so that nobody will know this embarrassment. Stronghold. That's where you, when you sin... And then you begin with un, you begin with finding out ways to cover it up. The stronghold has begun. Strong, it's begun. 
Because something in your mind tells you that you, can, you, you won't reap what you sow. That, that's, that's what happens. So then he goes and tries to get her husband to sleep with her so that he can cover up the pregnancy, even though the baby would have been David's, and he would have let them raise a child that wasn't his. And God loved David enough to cause Uriah not to go be with her, but almost God, listen, I, I, oh God, God loves you enough that he'll create opportunities for you to repent. Uriah was so loyal to David that he, he said he'd sleep by his door rather than go to his house and sleep with his wife. I mean, so it was kind of cringe loyalty to him. God has ways of breaking down the defenses of your stronghold. Oh, God. So you know what happens? David's, David later on, months later, you know it's months later because immediately the baby was born. So it was probably nine months later. Uh, or, or the baby was a, or, or was a little early because it was a, um, there was a, the baby was stillborn. So, and that's, that's how you kind of know that there was a longer timeline with David sitting on this, his staff is sitting on this, people that he involved with it. It's just a lot going on. A lot going on. And Nate the Great comes through. Nate the Great comes and tells him a parable. David gets mad because he thinks it's somebody else that has stolen from someone else that has less than them. And he says, you're the man. We'll come back to that later. We'll come back to needing truth tellers in our life. But what, what David then does, he goes, he worships, he grieves. And then sometime after, I don't know when, when he felt restored enough or maybe still in his brokenness, he began to do what artists do. Artists who, um, who God has given them the gift, they pour what they're going through into their art. And so what he begins to do is he begins to, he dips the feather of ink the feather in ink, he unrolls some papyri and he begins to write. And as he begins to write, he begins to probably hum a melody. But what he begins to do is him doing art and journaling at the same time, which brings us to our passage. This is the journal of a man who is repentant. But God had to get him there. God had to get him to the point where He'd see his sin, understand his sin, deal with his sin, repent from his sin. First point. If you're going to overcome the stronghold of unrepentance, number one. You must recognize that, God, uh, that uh, uh, David calls his sin what it is. <laughs> In the verse one, he says, be gracious to me, God. He asks for mercy, the word is there. According to your faithful love, a loyal love, he uses covenant language. <laughs> because what he has to remind himself of is that he's still in covenant with God. It's powerful to remember that even when you sin, as a believer, the covenant isn't broken. The fellowship is. But the covenant is still there. Somebody said, well, you believe in once saved, always say It's called eternal life. That means it's life unending. So what should motivate you to repent of your sin is not 
anything else but the fact that God's good enough to you to let you come to him and open up the throne of grace. He says, come before him in the time of need. That's what Jesus does. The throne of grace is for when you're broken, not just for when you're feeling good about going to him. And this is the time of need. And David takes advantage of it. And as David takes advantage of it, he begins to talk about God's loyalty to him. God was loyal to him. How do we know God was loyal to him? Because David committed several crimes that were worthy of death under the law of Moses. Um, he, first off, he committed adultery, death. Second of all, uh, 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 um, 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 he lied. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Number three, he killed a man, death. Double death and a verdict of sin. So he has three strikes against him. If he was in California today, he'd be in for life or death. But God says to him through Nathan, I've wiped away your sin. Can you believe that? That God is so a scandalous forgiver. And he forgave David because David, God's hand on David was bigger than David's sin. And when he talks about here about God's loyal love, he understands that it wasn't his own works that procured where he was in life. He knew it was God's covenantal commitment to him. But this says, according to your abundant compassion, look at how he overdoing it. God is God like really, really loves us. Like, do you know that God like really, 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 really loves you? Like how much have you done that deserves you to be put in hell and, and everything to be turned up in hell. I mean, listen, let's put it this way. God knows all your sins, past, present, and future. How many exactly they were. The mindset that went into committing those sins. What other directions that your sin could have taken your life if he didn't intervene. Um, he also knows the effects of your sins, which were sins and of themselves, and he has them numbered, right? So the, uh, can you imagine, like, one, somebody do one thing to us, and we ticked off with them, and we don't want to, we cancel them. I, I, you, you gone. But we've done immeasurable amounts of things, innumerable amounts of things, and the Lord in his mercy, and the Lord in his grace, and the Lord in his might, your hand should be up now, has forgiven you, has loving you, and has not, listened, given you what you deserve. He hasn't given you what you deserve. And, 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 and some of y'all who know your real testimony, who don't have a blind eye to your testimony, we're going to talk about that in a second, really, really know how bad it could have been for you, not just what God could have killed you, but what consequences that God let you step over that could have destroyed your life. So David says completely why he don't want nothing to do with it no more. That's, that's good language. He says completely, <laughs> wash away my sin. What complete, like I want it all gone, God. I want it all gone. He says, away from the guilt. This is crazy. Because this is the, he says, wash away the guilt. That's tough. Um, because many times we're our worst critic. And guilt can keep you unrepentant. Um, because guilt is you see some people think because they feel guilt that they've been repentant, 
But actually, that's a part of the stronghold at times. Because guilt is rehearsing your sin without God's grace present. <laughs> See, because it's nothing wrong with conviction. Because conviction is what you should feel. That's godly. Conviction is biblical, right? Conviction is God's alarm system that he put in your soul to let you know that something's wrong. Listen to me. But guilt is embracing the consequences of your sin without Jesus. So what he is saying is he's saying, God, I can't let go of the stronghold of unrepentance. And therefore, I need you to wash me from my guilt. And what's beautiful about being in Christ is Jesus is not only our propitiation, which means he takes care of the wrath of God. He's our expiation. Him being our expiation means he he removes the guilt of sin. See, God could take away his wrath and not kill us. But if you're depressed for the rest of your life about your sin, you can't enjoy the salvation that he's given you. So he has to be your propitiation, but he has to be your expiation. Your propitiation means I'm knowledgeably forgiven. Your expiation means I feel I'm forgiven. See, I'm telling you now that's when feeling is good. If it's based on truth, now, now I know I'm forgiven and therefore you can you can walk in restoration, but you can't walk in restoration until you allow Jesus to be your expiation. Help me today. And so when you look at the text, what does this have to do with that point of him acknowledging your sin? Because he's dealt with his need for compassion, his God's loyal love, his guilt that he has. But then he asks for cleansing from his sin. And here it is. As he works through this, he says, I am conscious of my rebellion. One of the things I like about David is he doesn't play around with calling his sin something else. He doesn't call it a mistake or I, got, I know I'm a mess. No, no. In verse one, in verse one, he uses the word, uh, he, 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 he deals with the need for, he says rebellion. In verse two, he says rebellion. In verse three, he says, send evil in your sight. Look, look at all of this. Uh, 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 um. Look at verse five, guilty. You know what I'm saying? Look over at verse nine, uh, 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 all my guilt, uh, sins. Look, look at him using these words. Verse 14, uh, save me from uh, the guilt of bloodshed. He knows what he did. Listen, many of us, the, the first step is you calling your sin what it actually is. Many of us, we, some of us, some of you got relationships with your children and you have painfully hurt them. And when they come to you, you don't have the decency and the ability to humble yourself and be honest about how you've wrecked their life. Some kids are going to be, some folk are going to be in counseling forever because of the damage that you've done. And the greatest part of the counseling that would save them some money is you saying, I'm sorry. Some of you brothers, y'all some of the most stubborn jokers I've ever met in my life. Some of y'all, some of y'all <clears throat> don't never admit nothing. You done messed up real, real bad, you know? And so your, your stronghold is, you, many of you have built lives around lying, not your, your girl or your wife not having the, the, the keypad to your phone and you got stuff like, because you got a secret. So, so, so you don't want to fool with anything. You don't want to call, when, you, when somebody confronts you about something, you, 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 you're saying, well, let me just, you know, matter, matter of fact, it's almost like, a laughing thing in culture for men to just be liars. 
Like comedians be saying, men, you know how we do and we talk about when our girl asks us where we was at last. Like, in other words, it's built into manhood culture, toxic masculinity, to be a compulsive liar. And ladies, y'all lie better than us. Y'all, y'all are, y'all are, I mean, y'all are like stealth liars, you know. <laughs> and so when we look at this, when we look at this idea of what David is saying, David is knowledgeable of his rebellion. Now we got to dig into some grit grit. Next point, desire to come fully clean. If you're going to overcome stronghold of unrepentance, you have to desire to come fully clean. Look at the verse. It says, for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Look at that. Against you and you alone have I sinned. But let's focus on that. Verse three. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. What's interesting is I am conscious of my rebellion. The word conscious or I know my sin, the old translation says. The, the, the Hebrew word there for know is yadach, yadach, yadach. It's an it's a, it's a, it's a interesting Hebrew word that is used for a man and a woman coming together sexually. It's also known, used in Jeremiah chapter 1, um, verse 3 of God's uh, foreknowledge of us, right? intimate foreknowledge of us, and it's also known of just uh, 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 intimately being acquainted with something deeply. What David is saying is very important for the stronghold to be broken down. If you're going to admit your sin, you have to become acquainted with how bad it is. So what he does when he says this, he is intimately knowledgeable of his sin. In other words, he wasn't blind to the reality of his sin. See, many of us want to be coddled in the beginning, but you can't be. You can't be. Some of us want to be saved from feeling the conviction of our sin. And there's there's a thin line between just being guilt, just walking in long term guilt and conviction. Now, in order to repent, you have to feel the weight of what you did. You have to. You have to. uh, Ladies, we have to start rescuing dudes from the emotional consequences of their sin. Some of us in our lives, we are, um, we have codependent relationships. And when somebody says, oh, that's okay. No, I forgive you. Don't, don't, listen, let me tell you the danger. Like the reason why black people were mad when people go to court and there's a heinous sin committed against a black person by a white person. And they say, I forgive you quickly. Um, without the person being repented, repentant, it almost feels it, it, it literally almost frees them up to not deal with what they did. So when a person is let off the hook early, I mean, you may forgive them, but sometimes it's not even the, listen, this is key. Sometimes it's not the quick time because it's not good for that person's heart yet to be, be, because be, they almost say, well, they forgive me Well, I don't have a sin to deal with. No, even in the gospel, God forgives when repentance is given. So sometimes it's important, many times it's important for us in our hearts to deal with it before the Lord, but give people room to repent so that they can really deal with the, because if you're in a different place, they don't see the, if they feel like you're in a different place, they don't feel the need to be convicted about what they did to you anymore. This is key stuff. 
And so when people are blind to the reality of their sin and its effects, they, they tend to move on without feeling the weight of what they did and what their heart needs in order for transformation to take place. So him saying this, I'm conscious is this statement is true and deep knowledge of one's need of repentance. The idea is seeing yourself rightly, man. You got to see yourself rightly. You can't start talking about in this time, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm, you know, and all of that, like trying to speak yourself out of your conviction. No, you need to deal with your conviction. That's why when you discipline kids, you, you're saying to them, do you understand what you did? Because kids will move on. You have to hold a kid and really look them in the eye and help them to deal with what they just did and what just happened. Um, and so one of the things that people have to learn, that's why he says he's conscious of his sin, is you cannot repent unless, uh, we, you and I cannot repent unless we are generally and specifically clear on the sinfulness of sin. You got to be clear on the sinfulness of sin. And so David was clear about the specific, the specificity of the rebellion of his heart. Why are you focusing on this so much? Because we need surgery done on it. The, re the repentance. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about th that other one in a second. These these other points. Don't put those up there yet. I'm going to come back to that. Next thing he says that's interesting. He says, my sin is always before me. What does he mean by that? It means several things. This to me besides the last point, is the most important part of this sermon. His sin being ever before him means David didn't blame anyone but himself. He says, before me. Um, he, in other words, the repentant not only repents of sin that they committed, listen, but the shrapnel and unintended effects of that sin on others. <laughs> In other words, your sin creates a bunch of succeeding events that would have never happened if you didn't sin in the first place. So you can't be mad at people for reacting to your sin, even if it's sinful reaction, because if it wasn't for you, they wouldn't be acting like that. Ain't nobody going to let me preach. See, David saw people and situations around him daily. He saw his staff that he told to get Bathsheba. He saw Bathsheba. Now he was in, he, uh, she, he took her into his home. She was with child. She's walking around pregnant. Everybody knows it. What effect does that have on the moral fabric of Israel that the leader would go kill a husband, ha have sex with a woman that he just wants to have sex with. She has sex with him. She gets pregnant. He tried to kill, uh, uh, try, tried to kill her. She was pregnant for a while. They see her walking around knowing it's David's baby because, listen, everybody knew it. David had to live and deal with that for months, that conviction. His staff compromised life, compromised Israel. His son Absalom wilding. Him not even feeling like he had the moral authority to challenge him anymore because his sin put him in that position. See, a repentant person doesn't call those around him to speedy repentance. Does, I mean, speedy recovery of the hurt and pain 
and his, that his or her sin caused others. See, many of us, we sin and we say, all right, get over it. You're wilding. You are wilding. You have no right to make someone quickly, rep- quickly respond and recover. Like, I remember my wife and I, I, I offended her. I did something, of course. And I didn't, she was crying. I didn't like that she was crying. I didn't like my conviction. So what I ended up doing, because I minimized what I did to her, is I said, all right, let's move on. And it was painful for her. Because I was trying to rush her through the grieving process of something I did to her, and which caused another layer of damage that I had to repent of both of. You can't sin against people and... When, when, when is this never going to be? I'm not talking about 10 years later, but even then you got to still understand like sin. You may be forgiven of your sin, but your consequences necess- aren't necessarily always going to be removed. Look, David humbles himself and seeks for the day when his sin doesn't have the effects on others. So rushing the ones you've hurt to get over your sin is to sin against them again. And what, the, what does that say? Hebrews 3.13 says sin causes a hardening effect. He says against you and you alone have I sinned. He's not saying that he didn't sin against anyone else. He just understands that his sin was an infringement ultimately against God. He understands the holiness of God. He, underst- he also makes himself accountable to the Lord. This also acknowledges that God is the ultimate judge. I like this verse. Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. If you get into sin, not if, when you get into sin, and you start writing paragraphs and talking all along, sin is all up in there. David, when, when, when Nathan came up to him and gave him the story, so you need a Nathan in your life that to jam you up and tell you that you're trifling, that you're wilding. He said, you, he said, you're the man, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord. He kept it short. Why? Because he finally got a breakthrough. The breakthrough was him knowing knowing, knowing that he sinned. He says, so you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless, talking to God, when you judge. In other words, many of us, we try to blame God, like, for our sin, right? But we'll blame him saying stuff like, you know, if it wasn't for the timing, God, if you just gave it to me quickly, um, you know, I didn't like your answers, God. Or we blame the seasons we're in. Or we blame the people we came across. Or we blame the doors that didn't open, right? No, that's not what he said. He said, you're right when you judge. Whatever you say goes, God. He says, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. Look at these mindsets changing. He looks at original sin. He ultimately tracks it back to original sin. And I, I, he said, I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Dope. It's very, very dope. Very, very dope. So he points it to original sin. So that means he needs more than, in other words, his sin record is connected to a larger sin pattern of humanity. That means we need Jesus 
to reverse the polarity of the universe through his death and resurrection. Last point. If you're going to overcome strongholds of unrepentance, last thing, you long for real transformation. <laughs> you long for real transformation. Listen to the language that David uses in this last part. He says, surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. So now that he's began, now that you've began to uproot your stronghold of unrepentance, those things in you, those mindsets where we try to blame others, whatever, whatever it is we try to do, we try to not call our sin a sin. You got to attack those things, right? Call it what it is. Not use God circumstances and seasons as a state as a scapegoat right he says surely you desire integrity integrity in the inner self desire of course means god takes pleasure but integrity interesting means you desire firmness it means firmness or certainty a level of clarity right and fidelity meaning commitment Right. You want uprightness in the deepest parts of us. So now he's he's longer for real transformation. He's now remember how in Gideon's life, he, he tore down a stronghold and put a new one in place. Now he's trying to replace the strongholds of all those months of lying to himself with truth. He says he says right here in verse six, he says, surely you desire integrity in the inner self inner self are places that are covered those deep places in your life that are covered, those deep places of lies where Satan has sown those lies. It's not your fault. Man, God, if he had done it earlier, you wouldn't have had to go the other route. See, that's how the devil works. But you got to go in there and uproot all of those stupid things that we put in there that the devil sows in there and we, we allow them to be planted there. Um, he says, you teach me wisdom in, within, uh, deep within Teach points to renewal of the mind. You need to be taught something different from the word of God. <laughs> you got to be. But then he says wisdom. You, you, you not only need renewal in the mind, you need rest, rest, uh, a restored sense of application. A restored sense of application, right? So, 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 so you not only need, you not only need uh, um, uh, um, to be taught the truth about your sin, but in repentance, God's not keeping you in your sin. What begins to happen is your life begins, you're now open to now having that stuff uprooted. Now you're able to, to think different and you're able to apply differently. You're able to, able to do that. This, 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 this ultimately reminds me of the fact that we have to, if we're going to repent, we got to open up everything. You got you to do deep work, as counselors say. You need some deep work. You and I need deep work. It reminds me um, when we were, uh, y'all probably heard the story before when we were getting this building um, when we were, we were buying this building um, it was, I mean, it was bats in here, rats, mice, big old Texas bugs, just antennas looking like fingertips, right? Just a mess. Um, when the exterminator came, he went into one section and he opened up a little crawl space and all he heard in the bush, just stuff in there. It was just nastiness. He shut it real quick, of course. And he said, Pastor, I'm going to be back on this particular day. 
He says, but what I'm going to need is in order for us, he said, this place hasn't been dealt with in years in a significant way. He said, in order for me to get to the root of the problem and deal with it so that this place is inhabitable and this place can be enjoyed for what you all need it for, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to open up everything. You're going to have to open up every door, everything in here that has hinges on it has to be fully opened up. And I said, why? He said, because if you leave something closed and I clean those other areas, when that other area gets opened, it will unleash an infestation and reinfest everything all over again. And so in order to get to the root of the matter, I want to make it easier to clean long term if you just open every. He said, I'm not guaranteeing this stuff won't happen again. The issue is it'll just be less work because you've dealt with the issue at its core. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You got to open up every area of our life. You got to open up your family history. You got to open up your college history. You got to open up your relationships. You got to open up your journal. You got to open up your friendship. You have to open up your experiences. You have to open up your, you have to open up everything in your heart and your mind and your soul and your spirit. If you want to be new, you got to open it up. And God wants to replace, he wants to cleanse you by the blood of Christ. And he wants to begin to remove the gook and the mess and the stuff in there, the infestation, if you will. All of us got some type of infestation that needs a spring cleaning. And so what we need to do from there is then God begins to come in and we begin to get teaching truth in there. That's what he means, truth. Replacing those lies and getting wisdom, what to do about it. It's not just about information, it's about transformation. Um, and that's why we need the beauty of Christ in our life. So I'm done. I'm done. Do you long for real transformation? Um, maybe you don't know that you're blinded. I, I'm, I'm praying for you today. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus as Savior. Um, of course, you're blind. You are. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 2 and 3 and 4 that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who are unbelieving to not see the gospel of peace. I'm believing God that he's going to remove what's over your eyes so that you can see the glory of the gospel and that you can repent and trust Jesus. If that's you and you want to put your confidence in Jesus and what Christ did on the cross by dying and getting up from the grave, seeing your sin for what it is, seeing God's holiness for what it is, him taking you from spiritual disconnection, to spiritual connection by tr trusting him by faith. That's you. I want you to, they're going to put some information in our surge team in the comments and you can jump on with us so that we can get in there with you and talk to you about what it means to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. If you're a believer, I'll pray for you at the end, but I want you to really do a soul search and ask God to give you the grace to deal with the strongholds in your life. Communion. Communion is a perfect time. This is a good time for communion. Um, unrepentant sin affects our fellowship with the Lord based on first Corinthians. I mean, we have first Corinthians 11 in such a way that um, it could cause infringements and in discipline. 
but taking it in a proper manner helps us to partake in the joy of our salvation. That's, that's interesting in the text. He says in verse eight, he says, let me hear joy and gladness. In other words, when, you, when you're dealing with repentance issues, sometimes you don't see the evidences of God's grace anymore. Sometimes life gets darker, and sometimes, and we're going to eventually talk about this when we talk about the stronghold of bitterness and unforgiveness. We're going to have to talk about it. Um, repentance, unrepentance has the same effect because you can not see things clearly, and you could be a mess to be around. He says in verse 9, turn your face away from my sins. Look at verse 10. He says, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 12, restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Go down to verse 17. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humble heart, God. Let's meditate around that for communion. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Before we eat together, remember in salvation, you get a new heart. So he's, he's, David is basically wishing for something he doesn't know will happen. Created me a clean heart, if that could even be possible. Renew the right spirit in me. That's new covenant language. This is well before Jeremiah and Ezekiel were prophesying. But he wished for it under the power of the spirit. We have it now. So communion is a celebration of being renewed. That's why repentance should be a thing for us. Let us eat together. Mm-hmm. Um, after the Passover meal and the herbs, the bitter herbs, he took the cup, blessed it, said, this is my blood, blood of the new and everlasting covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Let us drink together. Lord God Almighty, maker of all things, I pray your grace on your people that we would deal with the corridors of understanding that we are still, you, you still have covenant commitment to us. Help us to call our sin what it is. Lord God, help us to have a sense of the extent of the effects of our sin. Yet, Lord God, restoring us the ability to see things from your perspective and get truth inside of us as the stuff gets excavated from us. And put truth and wisdom and integrity in us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Take care. Love you. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.